This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. As you know, I have a great respect for saints and, in particular, what we can learn from them on how we should live our lives. Not too long ago, a friend asked me if I was, if I was afraid that I would run out of saints to talk about. Well, I'd never thought about that, nor have I considered how many saints there are. So, I thought I'd do a little checking. Within the church, the title of saint refers to a person who has been formally canonized by the church and believed to be in heaven. At the same time, we must recognize that there are many saints in heaven who have not been formally canonized. The canonization process itself may take a long time, or in some unusual circumstances, it may proceed quickly. But the process itself is very involved and does not take place without a thorough investigation of the individual involved and, and meeting all the criteria required. For some, it may take centuries to take place. Well, an official of the Vatican's Congregation for the Causes of Saints has said that it is impossible to list the exact number of saints, but they could be in the thousands. As you know, it's an involved process, as I said, starting with becoming venerable, then further being beatified with the title of blessed, and finally the actual canonization as a saint. Well, today I want to tell you the story about a man who, who has been declared blessed and about whom we may not be that familiar but his life and works, like those of so many others, are examples on how we, perhaps, should live our lives and from whom we can learn much. James Salomoni was born in Venice, Italy, way back in 1231, the only child of Adam and Marcusina Salomoni, a family of nobility and steeped in financial prosperity and respectability. In addition, the family was devout in their faith, and the church played a major role in their lives. In a way, they were like a picture postcard of a happy family. But that would change, as James was still in his early childhood. His father would die at a young age, and his death would have a devastating effect on Marcusina. She had known the beauty of a wonderfully happy marriage, blessed with the joy of a healthy boy whom she loved with all her heart. But she was faced with a tantalizing dilemma. There was no question of her love for little James, but with the death of her husband, she felt a void and, and that she was being called to serve God as a religious. But what about her son, James? She couldn't and, and wouldn't abandon him unprotected with little opportunity for his future. Yet she had this nagging feeling that God was calling her, and she should heed his call. She would remember from Scripture the words, Amen, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive much more in the present time and in the age to come, life everlasting. Hmm. Pretty heavy stuff. 
Well, after praying for divine guidance, Marcusina felt inspired with what she thought was the perfect solution. Her late husband's mother, Giovanna, was a wise and caring woman who could raise James in the faith while providing a sound and loving environment as he would grow to manhood. James would have someone who loved him dearly and was devoted to him. Plus, both his mother and grandmother could provide the the financial means to ensure a good education for his future. Well, the arrangements were completed. James went to live with his grandmother, and Marcusina entered the convent. The decision was a wise one. Giovanna would take great care in making sure that that James would be well-educated, both in schooling and in religion, and she scrupulously guided him in his selection of friends. But through all of her supervision, she was most concerned with his becoming well-grounded in the faith with, with special devotions to the Mother of God. She even played a trick on him. She suggested that he pray the entire office of the Blessed Virgin Mary every day. And then, if he did that, at the end of a hundred days, she would give him something special. Perhaps we might say a kind of bribe, or perhaps better phrased, a reward. At the completion of the hundred days, James asked for the reward, and the grandmother would then say, James, have you recited the office to receive a human reward? Our good deeds are not compensated on earth, but in heaven. The Blessed Mother will reward you. Well, we might have thought that James would be a bit miffed at the turn of events, but that was not the case. His daily recitation of the office seemed to bring him even closer to the Mother of God, a feeling that he cherished so beautifully that he would recite the office every day for the remainder of his life. And there was another lesson learned as well. He would never again look for an earthly reward or gratification for anything that he did. I would imagine that James's grandmother was a wise and thoughtful woman who had a concern that there should be a, a masculine influence on the young boy, so she also had the wisdom to enlist the aid of a Cistercian monk to help him with his religious studies. And James would respond with devout attention as his love for God and his desire to serve him grew stronger with every passing day, until at the age of 17, he knew the path God was calling him to take, and he joined the Dominican order. Now, we'll pause for a moment and think about James's heritage, the wealth of his family. It was now his. He could do anything he wanted, go anywhere, have anything, but he chose the life of a religious and gave his fortune away to those in need, keeping only a small pittance for his own needs as he joined the order. But as he did so, he found another seminarian with no money, nothing at all. So he gave what little he had left to the poor seminarian, recalling the words of Christ when he said, If you would be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. Come, 
follow me. And that's what James did. Have you ever stopped to wonder if many of these messages were meant for us too, these examples? We hear about them, we have good intentions, but we get sidetracked and we sometimes forget. I know I do. Well, James went through the seminary, and while the story of his life there is limited, we do know that he was a devout seminarian who wrote down an outline of how he could best serve God in his priestly career, and then he followed it carefully throughout his life. After his ordination, he spent the following 20 years in Venice, where he hoped to serve God in obscurity as just another humble servant spreading his word. But this was not to be. His holiness and dedication to the service of God could not be missed. The people of Venice recognized James as as someone special, very special, so much so that people thronged to him, sought him out, and I'm sure treated him as a very special friend of God. Of course, this troubled James. He didn't consider himself special and, and wanted only to serve as a humble servant of God. He wanted no publicity, preferring to serve God quietly and unknown. But this seemed impossible in Venice, and so while he loved the city and its beauty, he asked permission of superiors to be transferred to somewhere else where he could serve God quietly and unseen. Recognizing his sincerity, he was sent to the Dominican house in Forley, where he hoped to serve God in quiet solitude, but that was not to happen. He was now 37 years old when he arrived at Forley, where his fame, holiness, and good works would, would be even more recognized and revered than in, v, than in Venice. The Dominican house at Forley was noted for its poverty and strict adherence to its rules. James would almost lose himself hearing confessions and, and working with the sick and underprivileged. He gave away everything he received, keeping nothing for himself, and he would hear confessions by the hour, and he would be known for hundreds of what we could consider miraculous cures that were attributed to his intervention. When one humbly exudes holiness as he glorified God, Miracle after miracles seemed to follow his prayers. It was impossible for people to ignore this humble man whose holiness and personal virtues shone through all his attempts to be lost in the crowd. When people sought his help and his prayers, he could not refuse them, and against his own wishes, he would be later referred to as the Apostle of the Afflicted. James understood the role of the apostle and, and was keenly aware of the sacrifices and suffering endured out of love by Christ as he endured ridicule, humiliation, and the crucifixion for the salvation and love of mankind. If Christ, as the Son of God, would willingly undergo such sacrifices, should not he, as an ordinary man, also undergo sacrifices. 
Well, of course, as a Dominican priest, there were many sacrifices he was expected to make, but he wanted to do more. It would be difficult to list all that he endured because he was able to conceal many. However, others were discovered, and this was usually by accident. For example, in his lifetime in Italy, it was common for wine to be consumed with a meal. However, it was James's habit to always give his wine to someone else. It was a small sacrifice, but one of many. And once, without thinking, in his older age, he admitted that he had not consumed a drink of water between meals for more than 50 years. There is no doubt that God heard his prayers and actions and smiled on him. Once, on a trip to Rome, he wanted to be able to feel closer to Christ by offering Mass in the Chapel of the Holy Stairs. And speaking about the Holy Stairs, we know that way back in the 4th century, St. Helena, who was the mother of Constantine the Great, had the 28 steps that led up to the Praetorium of Pontius Pilate, on which Christ had to climb after his scourging. He had them, she had them brought to Rome, where it still stands, where they still stand today, opposite the Basilica of St. John Lateran. Also, it said that some of the ground from Calvary had also been brought to Rome as the foundation for the Holy Stairs. Well, one can see why Father James had such a desire to feel closer to Christ in the chapel of the Holy Stairs, actually known as the Chapel of St. Lawrence. Well, when he reached the chapel of the Holy Stairs, he was told that it was impossible for him to say Mass because that was an honor reserved only for high-ranking clergy and dignitaries. Well, quietly, James bowed his head in prayer, and, and then he offered a silent prayer. And as soon as he was finished, a guard rushed up to him and said there was a dignitary who wished to attend Mass there, and the chaplain was away, and would he say Mass instead? Well, I'm sure God personally answered that special prayer of James. And special blessings always seemed to follow James. Once, while he was in Rome, he wanted to visit the catacomb of St. Sebastian, and when he arrived at the catacomb, he found that the entrance was locked. So did he walk away disappointed? Not on your life. He knelt down and prayed, and as he did, something, well, I'll call it miraculous, happened. As he offered his prayers, the locked door suddenly opened. Well, I've often heard people say, if only I was rich, I would do so-and-so. Seems we put a qualifier on our potential good works. But James was poor, and his love of God fueled his love of neighbor. It wasn't a question of money. It was the opportunity for charity which motivated him to give of himself, which in God's eyes was more precious than, than dollars. Well, while so many are attracted to dignitaries prominent athletes, entertainers, those people in the limelight, and so on, well, James focused his attention on those who were less fortunate. 
the poor, the disadvantaged, the sick, those who needed consoling, and those feeling that, well, that when one is really in need, that you are truly doing God's work to help them. And that was his purpose in life. With James, even in his humility, he was such a powerful speaker that his audiences were motivated to seek the confessional, and after he had finished speaking, well, there would be long lines of people waiting to confess their sins. When we hear accounts of what we might call miraculous healings, do we look just at the miracle, or do we stop and think about the graces given to the healer? And then saints like Padre Pio and so many others, like James, well, they need, they're ones that give us something to think about, to remember. Perhaps Matthew's biblical quote was one of the best, and that was when he wrote and said, Cure the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and freely give. Perhaps we may have closed minds, forgetting the awesome power of God and, and the gifts he so often bestows on, on those individuals who, by their sanctity, remain very close to him. Well, there are stories after stories of healings attributed by God's mercy through the sanctity of James. For example, there was the man in Forley who suffered the torments of poverty because his daughter, whom he loved dearly, as any father would, the daughter was suffering from the ravages of tuberculosis of the throat. Well, one can only imagine the sorrow and frustration the man endured as he watched the pains of his daughter, who was just in her middle teens, and and then knowing that he did not have the money for a doctor or medical care for his child. But then he had an idea. Instead of a doctor, perhaps a higher power was needed. He took the child to James and asked for his intercession. James understood and and blessed the child. He touched her throat and prayed, and on her way home, she suddenly realized the pain was gone and that she had been cured. James had an extraordinary gift of healing from above, and that included not only tuberculosis, but even leprosy, the blind, and many other illnesses, including cancer. And on several occasions, he raised the dead by making the sign of the cross over their dead bodies. And always, always he attributed the cures to God alone. There were times when he would prophesy what was to happen in the future, and when he did, he was correct down to the most minute detail. As with Padre Pio, he also had the gift of reading souls, and a perfect example was a young Servite novice. Francis approached him and told him that he, the young man, was considering leaving the order. Now, this young man had not confided that to anyone, nor had he given any outward sign that he was discontent. But James told him that he should stay. Well, the young man reconsidered, and then he remained in the order. There seemed to be no limits for James' intercession. 
For example, there was a nun who was suffering for many weeks with severe arthritis as well as other maladies who wanted to seek his intercession. But then, to her disappointment, she found that James was away from the city. But that didn't stop her. She still prayed for his intercession and was completely cured of her illnesses. I mentioned his powers in the confessional and should have added that it was frequently said that a white dove was seen hovering close by him. A penitent once told him there was a white dove over the confessional, and James asked him not to tell anyone, but that was too good to keep secret. He was remembered for his devotion to the Eucharist and the Virgin Mary, as well as praying the rosary, perhaps a good example for us, too. Once in Ravenna, during the months of winter, he was outdoors praying the rosary, and suddenly red roses blossomed in his path. Perhaps one of the most moving stories of James Salomone concerned the daughter of a widow who suffered from a cancerous tumor on her foot that was, that was so bad and so painful that amputation seemed the only solution. The girl's mother begged James for a cure. Well, ever humble, he attempted to leave, but the mother fell to her knees, begging for his help. He replied that he was not that deserving, but because of her sincerity, he knelt by the girl's bed and prayed for God's blessing. He spoke simply to the young girl, telling her, Have faith in Jesus Christ, and he will cure you. With that, he left in humility. And after he left, the young woman felt that she could stand, and as she did, she found that her leg did not hurt, and when the bandages were removed, all signs of the cancer had disappeared. So, like St. Peregrine, James Salomone is also considered a patron for cancer victims. James lived to the age of 83 until he himself had become a victim of cancer but did his best to hide the disease until he was unable to walk and was confined to his bed where he died in 1314. After his death, the bandages on his leg were removed and all evidence of the cancer had disappeared. During the funeral procession to his tomb, invalids were said to have been cured by simply touching his coffin. And within two years of his death, 388 authenticated cures were reported by his intercession. In 1622, Pope Gregory XV declared Father James Salomone blessed and a patron of cancer patients. And because of his charity, he is also referred to as the father of the poor. Let us not forget that we have a friend in blessed James Salomone as we pray, God of endless ages, in your providence you gave your people, blessed James, to attend the mystery of salvation. By his life and prayers may we come to know your son and so experience his presence more fully in your lives, thanks to Blessed James. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.